0: Good morning. Joining me now from somewhere near Heartland, Minnesota, our good friend, Mr. Al Bat. Hey, Al, how are things over there?
1: Uh, things are beautiful. You know, I, I was just i was looking at a calendar. Uh, people are nice enough to give me these out, outdoor calendars. And this one is from uh, UC Laboratory in beautiful Janesville, Minnesota, which is a lovely place. I have relatives there, so it's a, a good place. And it's at Ron Shira's minnesota outdoor information calendar got a lot of cool stuff on there but on uh yesterday on monday it said the record high minnesota temperature was set on this day in 1927 114 degrees oh so that just made me interested so i i wanted to look it up so i i went to the dnr site and this was supposedly in moorhead minnesota and it said um The DNR said the record was set on uh, July 29th, and it was 115 degrees, only it was in 1917 in Beardsley, which is in Big Stone County. So I don't know which one is right, but whether it was 1917 or 1927, and whether it was uh, in Moorhead or Beardsley or if it was uh, 114 degrees or 115 degrees, those poor people! Oh, I just can't imagine. You know, you would all head to the lake, I'm sure, and flop around in the water or float in a boat. But
0: either way, you know, I'm like glad that. it isn't today, and I'm so glad we have air conditioning. You know, back on the farm, and you probably did this too, we never had air conditioning in the house, and especially not in the barn. And with the heat of all those cows' bodies, it would get so hot, and we would have those big fans. You'd have all the windows out of the, out of their. Um, casings you know so they would just be open air and you would go in the hay mow in the summer it'd be 130 degrees under the hot tin roof when you're piling hay you know we we knew what heat was on the farm
1: and i we didn't have air conditioning of course we had a couple of fans that we'd move around the house that moved the hot air from room to room. Yeah. But I remember going out, we had wonderful water, and we would fill up like a five-gallon pail of ice-cold water and then pour it over one another. Not Dad didn't take much because, you know, you'd worry about having a heart attack when you were his age then. But us kids, we just poured over, and, oh, man, you'd have the chills for about... Uh, Oh, 10 seconds or so, and then all of a sudden you'd be steaming. Yeah. But, it oh, that felt so good. You know, we're almost at the end of July, and uh, the one thing about July that, well, there's many wonderful things about July, but one is it is our only month with no recorded snowfall.
0: Really? So, yep, we've had, we've had snow in August, and you mean?
1: Yep. Oh, yep. my. Yep, there's records somewhere on the... Uh, Here and there, and this is from the state, uh, their weather department, the meteorological department, and they have this. And I know uh, usually when I talk about this, I get a call from a a friend from Albert Lee who says he was out at Big Island waiting in line for a picnic, and there were snowflakes. Hmm. And that was on the 4th of July, but... uh, I I tell him I uh, I believe him but he's the only one that has record of that. There's
0: so there's no official documentation the therefore. Of yeah, if it isn't officially documented it doesn't exist apparently. <laughs> that
1: that's pretty much it but yeah, so uh, oh brace yourselves folks. We are in the snow season once again uh, <laughs> as of as of what tomorrow we'll yeah. be hitting it again. So it's that well, I, I want to thank everybody for listening. It's great to hear from you all. I, I am your buddy, the Humble Burger, and I'm just going to sit up straight as I can here and talk about some things. I, I have to mention, you know, I'm a grandparent, so I'm obligated to make mention of a grandchild from time to time, pretty much all the time. That's how grandfathers are, I've discovered. I watched a teenage granddaughter play nine basketball games in three days, These are regulation basketball games. And I think she sat out about two minutes total over the nine games. And I'm impressed by her stamina, and yet I'm distressed by my own because I was exhausted after sitting <laughs> and watching her play. And Swanee Tullison of New Richland the other day came up, and he said, uh, Al, you still playing softball? And his question alone caused me to pull a hamstring. So Uh-oh. things are changing. <laughs> I watched an eastern kingbird, it's Tyrannus tyrannus, and I watched it attack crows. Uh, The kingbird was outnumbered five to one, it was on a a rural road here, a gravel road, but it chased the crows away, that one small kingbird, and there was no subtlety to its attack. It didn't sneak up on them, it just came out of the sky. A kingbird is tenacious. And while I was looking at that, I saw a hummingbird land on a utility wire. Now, utility wires look small, but when there's a hummingbird on them, they look gigantic. They look like they're just as white as a house because there's a little bird on there. And I remember reading something somewhere, and I wish I could remember. I should have looked it up. But it said that a hummingbird's brain makes up 4.2% of its weight. 4. Is that considered
0: 2%. a lot or not? I, I'm not sure. It's
1: it's the largest of any bird, proportionately, oh. that's been studied anyway. How about human we, brains?
0: What is our percentage? Any idea?
1: 2, 2%. Oh,
0: okay. So I guess that is a big brain then.
1: It, they have uh, double the size proportionally of us. So, you know, they may be studying us. I don't know what they're doing there, but it was it was pretty cool to see. And I saw a snapping turtle. I just went for a walk by, uh, oh, it's a pond. that had a lot of green stuff on it. And all of a sudden, this snapping turtle's head popped out of it, and then it crawled up on um, the shore a little bit. And he looked like a lizard that had stolen a turtle shell. And uh, he had a lot of overhead, I realize that. But as I was watching that, there was a little sandy area along the beach there. If you could call it a beach, nobody uses the one, and there were no whales beach there, so I'm I'm not sure if it was a beach. But there was a large black and yellow cicada killer wasp flying around there, and I tried to find one of the burrows. Cicada killer females can be about two inches long. They look ferocious, don't they? Take your thumb and forefinger and just say, two inches, that's a pretty big wasp. The males, they're maybe half that, and the males have no stingers. I picked one up one day because I'm an idiot. Somebody looked at me and just, I think they were going to call the hospital or the ambulance or something, and I said, this guy can't sting. Well, they have kind of a pointed abdomen, so they they try to sting because they want to scare you away. So this thing is in the palm of my hand, and he's just about a goner, and he's trying to sting me, only it's a pretend sting. He really can't <laughs> sting. And as people watching him, were becoming apoplectic because they thought, how can you hold a wasp like that? And I'm trying to tell them this thing doesn't sting. But they weren't hearing because their eyes were seeing so much, the ears had pretty much closed. The females, I would not recommend picking one of them up. Uh, they can sting, but they aren't inclined to do so. And females sting cicadas. They have a paralyzing toxin in their sting. And then they carry the poor cicada off to burrows in sandy or loose soils. And they lay one egg on a cicada in the nest chamber. And maybe a second or third cicada is often added because if it's a female egg, the larvae are larger than the males and they require more food. Then the chamber is sealed, and the egg hatches in one or two days, and the larvae consume the cicadas. How, how does it spinning. get sealed?
0: Is it is a uh, uh, something like a secretion or something that seals it?
1: She just, uh, I watched one one day, and she backs up, oh. and she kicks dirt and <laughs> sand into the hole. Ooh. And then she turned around, and she pawed a little bit from the other side, and then she pushed a little bit with her front legs, and then she walked around it a few times, just saying, "Yeah, tamping that, that it looks
0: down good. or something." Or
1: I guess it was pretty cool to see. And uh, she was just boy, talk about a worker! She was, uh, she's not a worker bee; she's a worker wasp. She just went crazy. And so she seals that up, and then her baby hatches in one or two days. And that larva, it consumes the cicada or cicadas. And then it spins a cocoon and overwinters underground. And then next July or August, they emerge from that ground. And we have these giant cicada killer wasps once again. And they live two to six weeks.
0: Is it painful when they're being consumed from the inside out? It just seems really creepy.
1: I would think it would be, yeah. You know, in aliens, I think that was painful (laughs) for those folks. And it'd be kind of the same thing. I just... And a lot of these um, movies and scary books are uh, written about things that actually happen in nature. And um, that's one of those things. Uh, Alan Stankovitz, uh, he lives in, uh, boy, I know, he lives in Mound Prairie Township, which is a, a beautiful part of the world. That's in Houston County, Minnesota. And Alan said, over the past eight years or so, I've been using deer netting that it's thin, black, nylon, UV-rated netting over all of our windows and doors. It works like a charm, and you really don't notice it's there unless you're close to the windows. And when installing, be sure to make it taut. Position a hook, screw, or nail at the four corners of the window door and stretch the netting across the frame. Trim the sides, and you are done. It works exceptionally well. And you're all wondering, works exceptionally well at what? (laughs) What does it do? It keeps birds from flying into a window.
0: Oh! So if
1: you have a problem with a window that uh, they really, uh, they just hit an awful lot. This is uh, one way to uh, to remedy that.
0: Well, you know at The uh, lake house I never had a problem with birds hitting the window, the basement windows. And then I washed them, and I thought, wow, look how nice this looks! I can't believe it. How much this you know opens it up down here. And the next thing I know, the next week I look, and they're a couple little dead birds there so obviously oh. the windows were dirty enough that it didn't affect them so there's a reason to keep your windows dirty
1: yeah that's uh, that's my reasoning here <laughs> that's why i do it and that's why i keep my car dirty too you know I don't <laughs> Uh, birds or anything flying into it i i do wash my car my wife will say he washes his car every time he gets an oil change because they give him a free car wash and and that that's true that's when i wash the car i spend so much time on gravel roads that it just i wash it one day and by the in the morning and by night it appears that uh, people are writing their names in the dust on it (laughs) and
0: writing wash me
1: yeah, it's a, a losing battle. So sometimes I just, but I do wash it every time I get an oil change. So uh, Bruce McKee said I had a nice morning paddling in Ventura Marsh, and that's in Iowa. He said I saw three new to me birds: a marsh wren, a black tern, and a common moorhen. Saw more than 20 great egrets, great blue herons, several green herons, pied-billed grebes, yellow-headed blackbirds, more than 100 American white pelicans, and more. Uh, Bob Cohn of Fairmont said he had a, saw a pair of trumpeter swans uh, right on his farm there. Walt Spindler. Uh, Walt is from Owatonna. And he said, um, I got this right after our show last week. Walt said, Al. Was listening to your fun program today on KMSU, heard you mention Rice Rice Lake State Park specifically about not being at the Steele County Fair this year. I'm in charge of taking booth reservations for the Ikes, and the friends of Rice Lake State Park have rented a booth for the fair, and so I, along with many others, look forward to visiting with you there. That was really nice, Walt. And then I heard from two other people saying I'm pretty sure they're going to be there and then Jill Deegan of Oatana called me and said, uh, how about being there on August 15th from 2 to 6? So I am going to be working at that booth, and I call it working. And I I put uh, those quotation marks around that because not everybody would consider that working. But I will be at the Steele County Free Fair on August
0: 15th. Good so to know. I,
1: yeah, stop and say hi. And I was wrong. You know, I'm wrong so often. It, I know so many smart people that know so much, and it, the best thing about being wrong in public is you hear people um, <laughs> will correct you, and, I, and boy, I appreciate
0: that. And when you're on the radio, people let you know when you're, you're wrong, too, and I appreciate that because I, I don't like to spread misinformation, but it is the type of of job where a lot of people hear your mistakes. <laughs>
1: Oh, and if you talk, if you ever figured out how many hours you talk a week, you know, if you're going to talk that much, no matter where you're talking, you're going to be wrong on stuff. You're going to misspeak. and The the hardest ones are where you know better, at least for me. I said, well, <laughs> yeah. I knew that, but I don't think that's what I said. So you try to replay it in your mind. You say, yeah, that's what I said. I was wrong there. It's easier for me, Karen, than it is for you because I'm a guy. And we're used to being wrong. So it comes pretty easy. We have a, we have a long and rich history uh, of being wrong. There's a, uh, one of them that called and said, uh, you are going to be at that booth. And I don't remember which one, but the, he asked a question, too, and said, I've noticed small gophers running across the road not far from our house. Why are they crossing the road? And as my answer to any time somebody asks me that, to show the possum, it could be done. (laughs) Uh, I'm guessing these are 13-lined ground squirrels. 13-lined?
0: Does that refer to something specific?
1: Yep, they have seven dark stripes, and those are separated by six lighter stripes. Okay. And I'm guessing this little guy's on one side of the road there and he looks across and he said, "Boy, I bet the grass is tastier on the other side of the road." So he runs across dodging cars, takes a bite and says, "Oh man, it's just like the stuff on the other side of the road where I live." So then he runs back across in front of cars. They always have to wait till there's a car coming and they eat grass, leaves, seeds and insects primarily. And who knows, they might and they may take meetings with another squirrel on the other side of the road. And this animal is, is so important to Minnesotans because it's a mascot for the University of Minnesota Golden Gophers. So I know a, a friend from Iowa calls us the chipmunks because he said, I see Goldy Gopher. looks like a chipmunk to me.
0: But it's not a chipmunk, is it? It's, actually- it's not. That's oh. why
1: I tell him. I say, it's a golden gopher. That's why it's called a golden gopher. But I don't want to tell him they're those little 13-line ground squirrels because then he'll come up with another nickname. So I put up with the chipmunks. Uh, Jeannie Mortensen of Fairboat wrote that she had these little caterpillars on her milkweed that she said they're devouring it. She said they were small and had bodies covered in what she described as spiked, stiff hair. And she wondered what they were. And, And Jeannie, it sounds like to me it's tussock moth caterpillars, and I often see them on milkweed. Uh, particularly common milkweed, but they will go on other kinds. And it's nicknamed the tiger milkweed moth. And it's orange, black, and has these white hair tufts. So that's now, is that
0: develop a moth that's a bad moth that eats stuff you don't want it to eat, or is it a.
1: The, um, well, the caterpillars can harm milkweed, but predators usually keep their numbers down. So I've never had any problem. The adult moth is a beautiful one. It has gray wings and a yellow abdomen with black spots, and it's just going to feed on nectar and stuff like that. But the caterpillars can eat some milkweed. But again, I, I've never had a problem with them. They uh, provide food for some predators out there, so there's always, always something to get them. And their numbers, at least in our milkweed patch, uh, never reach problems. I have more problems with rabbits and groundhogs and those kind of things, eating my milkweed than I do anything
0: else. Well, I have been having problems with the Japanese beetles. They are abundant, oh. and my my regular routine is to go out first thing in the morning, even before the sun almost comes up. Well, it's it's light out, but I go and I scout my hardy hibiscus, I scout my roses, I scout my lilies, my canna lilies, even they are in my crabapple tree, and I pick them off, and then I've got what I call the, the death trap bucket, and then it's got a little soap in it, and then it's so it's soapy water, and I drop the, all the Japanese beetles that I catch, and they drown in there. And I know the first week we had about 100 in there, and my son Grant and I have been collecting them, and we thought that was pretty good. Well, just this past week there's been at least 300 to 500 in there now, and they started to smell because, you know, dead things start to smell, and they yep. were... Uh, filling the top so you couldn't even see the water. You'd drop them in, and they'd try it. When they were drowning, they'd try and, you know, climb on top of all the other bodies floating there. So what it attracted then was a carry-on beetle, and I've never seen a carry-on beetle before. I had to look it up, but it's a round beetle. Uh, It's got uh, black with a big white spot on it, and so it was obviously attracted to the smell of all the dead, decaying Japanese beetles, and I don't think they're harmful to plants necessarily, are they?
1: they aren't they're one of nature's undertakers so they're to be
0: welcomed in, well uh, my husband didn't know so he he tried to drown it he said yeah there was some other weird beetle there too and <laughs> so i saved it up from out of the, well, well out of it good the, for you and <laughs> then i well then i put it in a little container so i could google it and then i googled and found out what it was and thought well i guess that's a good thing that they're coming here but then i realized how stinky it had gotten in that bucket and i res- i um uh, put them in the compost, and started a new soapy bucket. But the Japanese beetles are very abundant this year.
1: Oh, I, there's a place on uh, Highway 13 as you come into Albert Lee, and it's called Shoff Garden. It's a beautiful place, a lot of milkweeds, a lot of native flowers, and a lot of a lot of cultivars in there too. And it's, it's a nice place to go sit. And I go there and walk around and around and around and around and around. Take some pictures of insects on occasion. I, it's one of—I just love being there. I used to be a member of the garden club that maintained it in another life, so I have a, a long history with this place. And it—I swear there are Japanese beetles on every plant mm-hmm. in there. Uh, they just—they're everywhere. All the roses have them. They're just—and I—I uh, I never have a bucket, so I just pick them off and. And step on 'em, but
0: uh, I thought if you I, squished them, they release that pheromone and that attracts more
1: <laughs> you know, and that's very possible I, I just but there's so many of them I feel like I need to do something oh, to gotcha. cut them back uh, they just and boy, they are beautiful insects, as far as beetles go, they're just amazingly beautiful, but i've never I've never seen any of them in Schaoff Garden before. And this year, they're just everywhere in
0: there. I, I, I do they know. go in cycles like other insects do, do you think? I mean, I'm hoping because they've seemed that the last three years to be, have been increasing in my own yard. And I'm hoping that they have a peak and they're gone. Kind of like the, uh, didn't we have the emergence of cicadas where they were really so many one year and then they just kind of backed off a little? Or are they going to be more and, and the uh,
1: mulch. Um, multicolored asian lady beetles were that way oh okay. where we we had so many of them one year i said the my attic the most insulation i had up there were dead uh, lady beetles they wow. were just thick and deep so i'm most insects are cyclical so i sure hope Me this too. is uh otherwise man it's, it becomes a full-time job as you're finding pulling those little guys off maybe some uh, enterprising young people will have a business traveling around <laughs> plucking japanese beetles from gardens and uh, make their fortune and someday become the world's richest people knocking bill gates uh, out of that so uh, i'm seeing a lot of monarch butterflies uh, the last couple of days and monarchs begin clustering on trees and plants by the end of August into September. And it's the great-great-grandchildren of the monarchs that arrived in the spring that make that long journey south to Mexico.
0: Will some of these that are hatching now be the ones that are traveling? Because we're finding a lot of, of the baby caterpillars on the milkweeds in our yard. So based on what you said, because my son Grant said, well, we should just leave them. And then I said, well, Al Bat said they'll have a better chance of surviving if we hatch them inside. So now we've been taking them in, and we've actually got found quite a few this year. So uh, it's been kind of fun, and then we released them into the wild. And I'm wondering if these now will be some that are making the trip back.
1: They sure will, and I just talked to a monarch expert, uh, just happened to, and I, I mentioned that, and he she said, Yeah, I, I take them in the house when I find them because she said, I want to watch them and I want my kids to watch them develop. And then I, I just, they have a better chance. so And I I know everybody can't grab everyone they find. The thing is, you know, they need uh, fresh milkweed mm-hmm. to feed on. And,
0: and they eat it and, quickly. I'm surprised.
1: That, boy, they go through it like there's no tomorrow because these guys, you just think about what. Well, their monarch numbers in Minnesota are peaking now in into late August and early September because there's resident butterflies are joined by those from farther north that have begun their fall migration. And but those eggs they typically hatch in three to six days, and it's depending on the weather and the temperature. And then that caterpillar will spend nine to fourteen days eating, growing, and shedding their skins. And a monarch then will pass eight to fourteen days in a chrysalis before transforming into a butterfly, and then they can take up to two months to complete their migrations. So they are they are in a hurry to get everything done, and I don't know how many times they shed their skins. A lot. I know I counted one that was five times that it shed its skin, the caterpillar. So they're incredible, I. It's hard. I don't know anybody doesn't like monarchs. I'm sure there's some grumpy guy somewhere that uh, he was out in the field one day and he inhaled and he swallowed a large <laughs> monarch butterfly and almost choked and ended up in the emergency room and he didn't have insurance so he's still paying for it. He had a large deductible and he, that might be the guy. But boy, the rest of us, we just we rejoice when we see one fluttering about our yard and say, what a. What an amazing creature that is. So are the hummingbirds
0: it, on the move now? Because I noticed my hummingbird feeder was empty, and so I refilled it. And right away, there were ones coming back uh, within a short time. So I was just wondering why there's so many, if it's a timing or just I've been lucky.
1: Yeah, probably both. And there'll be a lot of young ones out there now. So you'll have a lot more birds. Um, than we have in the spring. You will just have a lot more of them now, and that is really cool. And I watch them, and I mention this every year. I have the one male that gets on that feeder, and he declares that to <laughs> all hummingbirds that will listen or that can see him, that this is indeed his feeder, and that no other hummingbird should set foot or, oh, shudder to even think about it, a bill on that <laughs> feeder. And instead of just uh, enjoying life and eating and relaxing, he's got to chase every hummingbird that comes in there away. And they will have, I don't know how often they have two broods in Minnesota, but um, there's a percentage, they'll have one or two broods a year. So it's very possible, and they're like most songbirds, incubation is 12 to 14 days. And then the nesting period is probably oh 18 to 22 days, something like that. They usually have one to three eggs, so we have all those hatching and coming out. So uh, you'll have a lot of young ones that look like the females. So it's it's a it's a really cool thing to see. And the uh, the male is kind of a deadbeat dad. He really <laughs> doesn't provide anything there. All he does is guard his feeder. He's uh, really into guarding his feeder. Everybody needs a hobby, and every male hummingbird's hobby is guarding the feeder. That's what he does every day. Well, what do the
0: females feed the babies then? Because if they're drinking from the hummingbird feeder or nectar, do they bring that back to their babies? Or
1: they uh, mainly feed them little tiny insects. Ah, and uh, these are uh, insects are very good for providing protein. And when you're growing as fast as wild birds like these guys do, they need a lot of protein. So she's bringing them tiny, tiny little insects and feeding it to them. And, uh, yeah, it's pretty neat how that works. And, and before too long, they'll be uh, flying around. They'll see somebody at the hummingbird feeder. And they'll think to themselves, "What what's that guy got over there? pretty soon they'll be over there feeding as well. And uh, life goes on, so to speak, in the hummingbird world. But um, I just love seeing hummingbirds. They're just uh, such great little birds, just like the monarchs. When I see hummingbirds, I, I just, and a lot of people have been calling, it's a good year for the white line sphinx moths, apparently, the hummingbird moths that a lot of people call them that, that uh, feed the same way that hummingbirds do and, and resemble them in many ways. So, I hope that everybody will come to the cafe today, where the food chain is missing a few links. A special as always, Heimlich Maneuver, and gravy is considered a beverage, and now featuring authentic leftovers with less hair in the food, and has real cup holders, where grease is good, and none of the food smells like feet. Well, hardly any. I spent uh, some time in downtown Chicago, and I spent most of the time being in someone's way. Everyone seemed to be in a hurry to get somewhere, and they knew how to get there, apparently. I was in a hurry, too, but I wasn't always sure where I was going. I I moseyed and wandered, which is tough to do there. You're always in somebody's way, and you feel guilty. I'm a tall guy. I'm in somebody's way most of the time anyway. They're trying to see the, the Trump Tower, the Tribune building, or the bean, this giant bean thing that reflects and distorts the world when you look into it and i the sidewalks were so crowded that it was like being on an above ground subway someone was always standing on my foot and that someone was usually me but i stopped at a cultural center because they had an art gallery and they had some wildlife stuff in there and a woman was uh, There And she said, would you like to sign up to get this in the mail? And it sounded like something I would like to get in the mail. So she was writing my name down on a form in this art gallery slash cultural center. And she asked my first name. And I told her that it was Alan. And I spelled it correctly for her, A-L-L-E-N. And she looked at me and she said, Alan, that's not a name you hear every day. And I thought, yes, it is. Remember, folks, Heartland is what we're driving past. Uh, Thanks for having nothing better to do than to listen to me. Do something wild today. Get out there and look at a bird. Uh, Karen, I enjoyed your company as always. Thanks for all you do.
0: Thank you, Al. We'll chat with you next week. Until then, happy bird watching. Thanks. You too. All right. Bye-bye, Al.
1: Bye-bye.